This morning we will continue our study uh, in the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit are those uh, nine qualities that Paul lists in Galatians 5 that describe a Christian in bloom. The fruit of the Spirit give us a picture of a blossoming heart that has been liberated by the gospel of grace. And so we will look at the fruit of patience this morning. All throughout history, patience has been considered a virtue. The patient people were those who were the wise and the revered ones. They were the deliberate, the controlled people, and we, they were highly esteemed in our culture. And the impatient were the foolish. They were the irresponsible and the careless. They were the ones that made poor choices, and they missed out on opportunities. We see this in culture. We see this in movies. Take Luke Skywalker, petulant and headstrong, receiving his Jedi training from Master Yoda. And Yoda warns him not to leave, not to go to the Cloud City. But, of course, Luke leaves. Or think about, we're going to have an 80s reference here, think about Daniel LaRusso, the karate kid, wanting to go fight Cobra Kai, but his sensei, Mr. Miyagi, who warned him, who wanted him to learn how to paint a fence and to wax on and wax off before he learned how to fight. Examples of patience for us, how it was a virtue. But when we think about our culture today, it seems that patience is no longer the virtue that it once was. Patience is not valued. We are all about the expedient and the immediate. Patience is weakness. Patience is softness. If you are patient, you will get passed by. We value the innovators, those who will bring fresh ideas. We're a culture that's driven by uh, those who can disrupt the market. In fact, it seems that impatience and displeasure are what drive our economy. Companies that can tap into our impatience are the ones that are making a lot of money these days. You know, years ago, it would have been unheard of for a package to arrive in two business days. And if it did, we would have paid a hefty shipping fee for it to arrive. But now, two days is standard. And it's free, given a certain understanding of the word free. But you and I will get angry when our two-day package takes three days to arrive. We think, how dare they take three whole days to ship a package across the globe and to arrive at my front door. And now we think, who actually wants to have to go on a computer and order something? We can just get on our phone or tell Alexa to buy something, and she will order it for us. And we're not that far away from being able to speak into a smart speaker and then order something, and then an hour later, a drone will drop it at our door. And when that happens, that day is coming, when that happens, no doubt we will grow impatient with one-hour delivery. When the drone takes two hours to get to our house, we will complain. We talk about needing faster networks and faster phones because it's unreasonable for us to have to wait five minutes to download an entire movie. It also is in sports. If you're the coach of a big-time program, you better start winning immediately. There is no patience to build and develop a program. You are expected to have immediate results. There's a sense in our world where it seems as though impatience is the virtue and not patience. 
Our heroes are the hard chargers. They are the visionaries, the disruptors. And so in a culture like this, what are we to think of the fruit of patience? Do we still need patience in our world today? And if we still need patience, how does the fruit of patience grow in us against such strong cultural headwinds? And so we'll read our text this morning as we consider that question. We're going to be in James 5, verses 7 to 11. So hear God's word to us this morning from James 5. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we ask again that you would take this your word and that you would give us ears to hear it. That the soil of our hearts would be fertile, that we would receive this word, and that by your grace that it would bear much fruit in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we will consider the fruit of patience this morning by asking two questions of this text. So The first question we will ask of the text is, why do we need patience? And then the second question is, how do we get that patience? So the first question is, why do we still need patience? And the text gives us two reasons why we need patience. The first reason is that people will disappoint us, and we need patience for that. The book of James uh, was written by the biological brother of Jesus. James was a leader in the early church, and this book was written to Jewish Christians who were struggling in some ways. As you read James, you can see that they are undergoing trials and persecutions of some types, and that's how James begins his letter. He begins it by saying, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, because you know that the testing of your faith will develop perseverance. In the part of the book just before our passage that we read this morning, James is speaking to a conflict that has developed between the rich and the poor. The Jewish Christians were largely poor people, and the rich around them were taking advantage of them, and they were enduring some type of persecution. And so there's another sense you get as you read the book of James, that there are divisions and factions that are developing within the church. There is favoritism. That's being shown to the rich, to the people with money. There's fighting and quarreling going on within the church. There are harsh words that are being spoken to each other. And in the midst of this, in the midst of this persecution and suffering and division, James exhorts them to patience. In fact, he does so twice in the first two verses. And the word that he uses for patience in verse 8, in verse 7 and in verse 8, is the same word that Paul uses In Galatians 5, when he lists the fruit of the Spirit, it is the Greek word macrothumia. Some versions of the Bible, maybe the version that you have, uh, translates it as long-suffering. 
And many times this word is used in the Bible to talk about patience that we are to have uh, with one another. This is interpersonal patience that we are have. James is exhorting them to be long-suffering and patient with each other as they endure persecution. And to illustrate his point, he uh, tells them to consider the farmer. So he says, if you want to know what patience and long-suffering looks like, then consider the farmer, how they wait for the precious fruit of the earth to come forth. The farmer doesn't plant one day and then harvest the next. It takes time and patience. Farming is a job that requires an incredible amount of labor and effort. It is not an occupation for the faint of heart. There was an article a few years ago um, about the influx of hens that were showing up in animal shelters and largely urban areas. And they attribute it to the urban hipster foodies, that's that's their word, not mine, Uh, urban hipster foodies uh, that decided that the idea of keeping chickens in their backyard was more work than they wanted. To them it sounded nostalgic, but it was actually more work than they had first anticipated. Farming is a tough job. It's a job that does not have guaranteed results. As much work as a farmer will put into preparing the ground and the seed, he is powerless to actually grow the crops. He is dependent upon rain and sun and particular patterns of weather, and all of those things are out of his control. And so in this area, uh, three-quarters of the yearly rainfall came in the winter between November and February. So this was the growing season for the farmers. But James, in this passage, refers to the early and late rains that the farmers must patiently wait for. Because there is so little rain in non-winter months, the farmer has to wait until that first fall uh, rain comes before he can plant. If he plants too early, he risks losing the entire crop. And similarly, he has to wait on the late rains before he harvests. To harvest too early would mean a bad crop for the year. And so back to our question, how does farming relate to patience? And what does this tell us about why we need patience? In the same way that the farmer patiently waits for the early and the late rains to come, we are to be patient with those around us. There are so many things about other people that are, out, that are beyond our control. We don't control other people, just as there is so much that is beyond the control of the farmer. And we are to be long-suffering and patient with others as we deal with their sins, offenses, and their faults. So why? Again, why do we need patience? We need patience because people will disappoint us. They will let us down. People will sin against us. And no doubt, you have experienced this in your life. And patience is what allows us to deal with the realities of life. And it means that our response, to, our response is patience, and our response is not grumbling. That's what James tells them in verse 9. Do not grumble against one another. Grumbling is the exact opposite of patience. It's not long-suffering. Grumbling is short-suffering. It is a short, a short fuse. It is writing the other person off. It's becoming filled with resentment and cynicism. But James gives us a second reason as well of why we need patience. It's not just that people will disappoint us. We need patience if we are going to endure suffering in this life. In verses 10 and 11, James gives another illustration, not of a farmer, but the example of the prophets in Job. He uses another word to describe the prophets in Job, a word that is closely related to patience. It is the word that is translated in the ESV as steadfastness. 
The Greek word is hupomeno. It is to stand fast. When you restudy it, you get the picture of someone holding their ground against an oncoming battle. James says, you have seen the steadfast patience of the prophets and Job. And so in the face of adversity and suffering, uh, Job and the prophets remain standing firm. They remain stand, stead, uh, steadfast to their calling and their message. You know, I think we forget what it would have been like to have been an Old Testament prophet. We kind of think of them as different, somehow in a different category than us, but they, in many ways, were people just like us, with the same insecurities, the same fears. They were people who wanted to be accepted, wanted to be loved by others. They were made in the image of God just as we were. But think about their lives, the lives of the Old Testament prophets. In many ways, their whole life was full of rejection, of persecution, and harassment. They carried an unpopular message to powerful people, and many times they never experienced the fruit of their labors. Yet they were to be steadfast, to hold their ground against rejection and the persecution that they faced. And remember the life of Job. Job experienced an incredible loss, a tragic loss of family and possessions and health. All hell broke loose on his life. Yet he remained steadfast in the midst of great trial. So not only do we need patience and steadfastness because people will disappoint us, we're reminded that we need patience because the circumstances of life will disappoint us as well. But let's move on to our second question. How is it that we get this patience? How is it, uh, or to put it another way, what are the means that the Holy Spirit uses to grow patience in us? We, We know we need patience, but how do we get it? And I think this passage shows three things that we need if patience is to grow in us. The first thing we need is, the, is humility to admit our limits. Patience comes to us as we have the humility to confess that we don't know everything. That our perspective is limited and it is far from complete. To admit that we don't see the full picture. Whether that is an interpersonal conflict or as that is in suffering. That we are limited in our understanding. You know, there are times in which our impatience results... Uh, from a faulty assumption that we know everything about what's going on, that we know what is best. We operate under this belief that we know exactly how things should be going in our life, but we don't know all the facts. I read an article this week <clears throat> about a woman who, brought, who bought a Japanese Spitz puppy from a, her local pet shop. Now, I am not familiar with Japanese Spitz puppies, but evidently this is a fancy breed of dog, uh, like ones that have to have papers, and you can't board them or their hair will fall out or something like that. But uh, in this woman's excitement about her new furry friend, she noticed that perhaps there were a few issues with her dog. The first was that the dog would never bark. Might have been a issue for her. She should have noticed. The second was that uh, the dog seemed to have much thicker fur than other Japanese spitzes that she had seen. And her dog refused to eat dog food for three months. And so she grew very impatient and aggravated with her pet. And so in her exasperation, 
she took her dog to the local zoo and said, what is going on with this dog? Only to find out that her dog was actually a fox. I had a really bad dad joke I was going to interject that it was a fox in dog's clothing, but I decided I was just going to let that one go, but and it's, it's yet another reason why I don't like dogs and why I don't think people should get dogs or foxes. But that's another issue for another day for me. So, uh, This woman's perspective was limited. She didn't know everything. In fact, she didn't know a lot. She didn't know about her fox dog or whatever it was. And so she was mistaken about the truth. It's a funny story, but it brings out a truth for us. Impatience grows when we assume we have the full picture, when we assume that we see with clarity what is going on. You know, this has been especially challenging for me as I've prepared to preach this sermon because there were several situations that I found myself in uh, this week in which I assumed that I knew exactly what was going on. I I grew, uh, I was grumbling, I grew impatient with the situation because things weren't going how I thought they should go. And I thought that I knew exactly what needed to happen. But there was freedom that came when, by the grace of God, I was able to admit, you know, I don't have all the facts. I don't have a full perspective, and even what little perspective I have is really jaded by my own sin and my own bias. When I was able to admit that I wasn't omniscient in this situation, And I was becoming impatient because I thought that I knew everything. There is freedom that comes in admitting that you don't know everything. There's a big fear of saying, you know, I don't know. There's actually a lot of humility and a lot of freedom that comes with being able to admit, you know, I just don't know. There's freedom that comes when we can admit, you know, perhaps God knows more than I do. And that he's at work in ways that I can't see. The same thing is at play earlier in James, in chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, when James writes this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live here or do this or that. James is saying You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know that you will live here or that you will do this or do that. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. We can have a tendency to schedule our lives, to plan our lives in such a way that we pretend that we are God, that we assume that we are God. And we assume that we are in ultimate control. One of my favorite memories from being a part of RUF at Alabama when I was in college, was that at the end of every large group meeting, our campus minister would give us a benediction. And at the end of the benediction, they would be followed by this phrase every week, see y'all next week, Lord willing. And it was a small way of him reminding us that the Lord was in control, that we didn't know if we were going to be there next week. If the Lord willed, we would be there. That as much as we planned, as much as we thought we were in control, that it was actually the Lord working in us. And so patience grows in us as we have the humility to say that we don't know. That we are not all-knowing, we are not powerful, and to confess and to believe that God knows more than we know. 
So the second thing that the Spirit uses to grow patience in us is by considering that there is a coming judge. If you read our passage, you see there's a lot of judgment language. There's a lot of language about the coming of the Lord. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Do not grumble that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. There's this kind of language to be found elsewhere in the book of James. It's one of the messages of his book, that there is a judgment that is to come. And when we read judgment language, oftentimes we can use it as a threat or use it as a weapon to scare, use that as a fear motivation with one another. But why does James use language of the coming of the Lord? Why does he use this judgment language? He uses it not as much as a threat or as a weapon, but he uses it as a means of comfort. He uses it to comfort hurting people. In the book of James, he refers to his audience 17 times as brothers. Or you could translate that as brothers and sisters. It's an affectionate term. In the, in the space of a short book, he calls them 17 times. He refers to them as brothers and sisters. These are people that James loves. You sense the heart of a shepherd looking over his flock. He's telling them, you are facing a lot of hard things right now. You are going through a lot. And there is so much that is out of your control. You're having to wait. You're having to be patient and steadfast and long-suffering in the midst of trials. But remember, James is wanting them to remember that the judge is near, that the judge is at the door. There is a judge that is coming that will set everything right. There is a judge who is coming who is able to fix what you can't fix. There is a judge who is coming who has real power and real authority. You know, what is it, what is one of the things that people who are suffering need to hear? What will bring comfort to people who feel powerless against the circumstances they are up against? What will bring relief to those who have been sinned against? It is the news that there is a judge who is coming who will right every wrong. Patience can come to us today as we know and as we remember how the story ends. We have a king who is coming back, a judge who is coming back, who will set all things right. He wins in the end. But let me interject at this point that patience and suffering is not the only thing that we need as we suffer. There is more about suffering that we need to hear, more that needs to be said. So please do not hear a call to patience as a dismissal or a denial of the hurt and suffering that you are facing. Being patient in the midst of suffering does not mean indifference towards suffering. It does not mean complete passivity. It does not mean living in denial. It does not mean just simply turning a blind eye. There are times to confront There are times to fight. There are times to create boundaries. But we do all of this. We do all of those things with a resting confidence that it is God who vindicates all wrongs. He is the one who vindicates all wrongs, even the wrongs and injustices that we will never be able to right in this world. So we can be hope-filled. We can be hope-shaped people because we know that the judge It's near. Patience grows in us as we remember that our God is near, that He has promised that He will return and that He will make all things right. 
But there's still a question that lurks in this topic, in this passage. If we are aware of our own sins and failings, if we know that it's not just the sins of others that are reality, but our own sins, if we know that we deserve to be judged ourselves, how can it be then that the news of an all-powerful coming judge, how can that be words of comfort to us and not a threat? How is it that when we hear that the judge is near, that the judge is on the other side of the door, how do we hear that and not cower in fear and trembling? How is it that we hear this as good news and not impending doom? And that brings us to our third and final point. What grows patience in us is that we remember the character of God. James tells us in verse 11, remember, remember the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Remember who God is. Remember his character, that it is his property to show mercy. That's what we will hear echoed in our final hymn this morning from Depths of Woe. when we will sing, therefore my trust is in the Lord and not in mine own merit. On him my soul shall rest, his word upholds my fainting spirit. His promise, mercy, is my fort, my comfort, and my sweet support. I wait for it with patience. I wait for it with patience. I can wait upon the Lord with patience because His promised mercy is my fort. It is my refuge and my stronghold. But yet, how can we trust that the Lord will show mercy to us? How do we know that He will be a compassionate and merciful God to us? Is it because He's the judge? that will just turn a blind eye to sin? Is it that he will just be a judge that will ignore our sin? That he will just look the other way? We can know the mercy and compassion of God because Jesus is the one who took the judgment for us. We can know the compassion and mercy of God because the judge became judged for us. On the cross, he took all judgment and all suffering upon himself. He took the wrath that was ours so that we could sense and know the compassion and love of God. And this, this truth is what enables us to be patient with one another. We see this truth in Hebrews 12, of how the patience and the steadfastness of God, that is what enables us to be steadfast and patient in life. In Hebrews 12, the writer to Hebrews is exhorting his hearers to be, to endure in the face of suffering and trial. He's given them the examples of faith in Hebrews 11, and then he turns to the ultimate example of faith and steadfastness at the beginning of chapter 12. This is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance. That's the same word, hupomeno. That's the same word that we have translated as steadfast in our passage. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured, again, same word, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see the logic? We are to run with endurance as we look to Jesus who endured the cross for us. We can have steadfastness and patience as we see him being steadfast and patient with us. And so you might be here this morning and you are unsure of what you think about Christianity. If you're not yet a Christian, and you read a, hear a passage read, James 5, that has a lot of language 
of judgment. You think, if God is a judge, then I'm in trouble, and I don't really know what to do with that. But if that's you, I want you to consider the patience of God with you. Consider God's patience and His long-suffering towards you in your life. Even the fact that you were here. Will you consider the compassion and the mercy that God has shown to you in Jesus? That He sent His Son to die for your sins that you might not perish. Will you consider the patience and the mercy of God towards you? But there's another group here this morning that I want to address. You might be here this morning and you are struggling because of sins that have been committed against you. Or you're suffering because you were under some hard circumstance in life, a, a circumstance that just doesn't seem to be getting any better. And so would you too remember and recall the patience of God? What will give you the ability to be patient with the failings of others, to not write others off, to not dismiss them, to not grumble against them. It is to remember the patience of God with you. It is to remember His infinite and eternal patience with you. For us to remember His long-suffering and patience in the midst of our sin and rebellion. What will give you the ability to stand firm in the face of really hard circumstances, in the face of circumstances that are not changing? It is remembering and seeing Jesus standing firm in your place. Taking on all hell and all judgment and all wrath for you. And at this table is again where we see the patience and long-suffering of God. That though our faith is weak, though we weekly, daily rebel against His grace, though we are impatient and short-tempered, With God and with one another, we come to his table and we are reminded again of his infinite and eternal patience with us through Jesus. We are reminded again that he is our God and that he feeds us at his table. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your infinite patience with us in Jesus. Thank you that you do not give us what we deserve. Thank you that you do not treat us as we deserve to be treated, but we get mercy. We sense your, comp- your compassion and mercy because of the work of Jesus. And so help us to believe that. Help us to receive it uh, with believing hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.